some fun facts about women in my family. My Aunt Lily shot a man dead. My great-grandmother faced down a charging bull in a field, and the bull limped away. My grandma Marion, my mother's mother, was known in her small town where she ran a cafe and in like a kind of a farming Midwestern town. She was known as snack trays. That's because it was commonly held that she was so stacked that she could deliver food without her arms. She didn't do it, but still, that's good for business. Needless to say, she was not embraced by the local farmers' wives. She wore bright red lipstick and had bright red hair and wore sky-high heels to the bitter end through three marriages. She was well-known in our family for doing something that women didn't typically do back then. When life in my mom's home became a literal hell, she threw the girls in the car and she got out of Dodge. She went to a new city and she started over. I could never tell if she was just an easygoing mom or if she was trying to make it back up to them. But she let those girls do anything. My mom and my aunt could skip school, skip church. Not that my grandma was welcome at the Catholic church with her numerous marriages. But still, they could skip it. And all they did was be fabulous. They just had to lay in the backyard and get their tans. And my grandmother made sure that they were dressed like a million bucks. My mom was miniskirt rich. On a recent visit to my aunt, she stared into the distance while petting a poodle and said, you know, your mother and I weren't known for our brains. <laughs> I'm, I got it. With this rich matriarchal resume, I couldn't understand why my mother would choose to be a Quaker. She just seemed more like she should have been a mercenary which is not a typical thought to have of a Quaker woman, by the way. It just seemed like her skill set and her energies were so much better for being like a spear-wielding warrior than a pacifist. I don't mean she was abusive or violent. She wasn't. She was just really intense. She was famous in our family for once having gotten so mad at all of us that she stood up and ripped the phone book while making eye contact with every member of the family. <laughs> She yelled from her conviction. <laughs> I don't even know what we did. She was also a warrior, in addition to being a warrior, and a protector. She used to cast spells on us all the time. Christian spells, or prayers, whatever. And when I was born, she prayed that evil stay as far away from me as the east is from the west. Over my crib, there was a Bible verse that said, For I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. To this day, whenever I go anywhere, she chases me down, roughly kisses my forehead and scratches my eye, and says, He who watches over you shall not slumber. I love you. Have fun out there. <laughs> I'm not sure what kind of fun you can have with an omnipotent God at your heels. <laughs> She had her private reasons for being this way. Probably some of them were because of the darkness that my grandma drove away from so many years ago. The public reasons she gave were pretty cool, too. When I asked her, why did you decide to be a Christian? Meaning, like, why not be cool? She said, well, in college, I took mescaline, and it made me an immediate atheist for four months, and not in a fun way. 
Although the world was beautiful, it was cold and cruel. (laughs) (sighs) She didn't like it. Another affirming moment was when she was on her way to be baptized, and she felt a literal, sinister, physical presence blocking her way on the sidewalk. And she had to wrestle the air to go get her God. These are really reasonable reasons for joining organized religion. But still, I just wish she'd picked a little better. I don't know if you know about Quakers, but we're not, like, the sexiest people. Like, not in the top 10 most, like, trendy religions. Not top 100. Worse than that, we're in Eugene, Oregon. We joined the Friends Church on this depressing stretch of 18th Street. The most I could hope for was a corn dog after service. And believe me, I hoped. I used to sit there and just look around at my brethren. I'd see their long white ponytails, their, smell their cough drop breath, their socks and their Birkenstocks together. <laughs> and I would just think, why? Their hues of brown. I would look at my mother And she would be taking notes like it was fascinating. And she'd look over at me with a zealot's gleam in her eye. A true believer. Me? I was daydreaming. I wanted out. Forget all this modesty and saving yourself stuff. I wanted to go and have fabulous affairs. I wanted to go to New York, to Paris, to Milan, which probably I thought was in Florida. (laughs) I wanted to seduce and destroy many men. Anyone from like a clean-cut Kyle who's like a surfer who maybe throws a frisbee and his dog catches it in their mouth? Who would, I don't know, see me walking down the beach dressed like a divorcee and just be like mesmerized? I also wanted to cling to the chiseled torso of a troubled bad boy as we drove out of one trouble and into another on the back of his hog. (laughs) I wanted to be a temptress, a venomous minx, a Cleopatra, a Jezebel, a Delilah, not an Esther or a Ruth. (laughs) I wanted out. And weirdly, I wanted to be kind of a tough guy too. I didn't know it, but that was my mom's influence. Still, I wasn't the rebel or the cynic that I wanted to be. I kind of bought in. Maybe not to all of it. it. It wasn't that I believed. It was that I believed I should believe. And I felt kind of bad about it. I thought the first mistake these pesky Quakers make is they have kids. It seemed like kids was a gateway to religion or religion was a gateway to kids. But both just seemed like the main barrier between me and glamour. So whether I was nervous to sin or not, when I got my chance, you better believe I took it. I got out of Oregon. I ended up in Chicago on a road trip. I actually got left there off the road trip. (laughs) And guess where I stayed? With snack trays. (laughs) They had deflated a bit by now, and she was a really pleasant roommate. She sort of floated along on memory, gossip, politics, freezer-thawed donuts, and five o'clock coffee. And I stayed with her until I could get on my feet. 
Now, I was utterly unprepared for adulthood, whether I was pure or sinning. So it was a little weird at first. I didn't know how to work the heater in the Chicago winter, so I just slept in my coat. I didn't know how to, like, get a bed, so I just pushed in couches from the street. I had, like, a sea of couches. I didn't do dishes. I threw them out the window. (laughs) I bought chocolate-covered strawberries and let them rot. I just wanted to be decadent. I took in strays, like human strays. There were always people sleeping on my couches or between them. I kind of lived with an unironic hobo flair. And I saw about some of those affairs. I did an easy lob of my virginity to a 44-year-old, married, schizophrenic, alcoholic, con artist, father of six, who most alarmingly was a real estate agent. It's hard to say that. Um, After working my way through a number of waitress jobs, I needed, like, more money. So I decided to be a nanny. Now, like I said, I wasn't a big fan of kids, but I figured I could pretend in order to get paid. But when I got there, they they were really cute and vulnerable. And the little girl had, like, an art dealer's haircut and totally got sarcasm. But still, as soon as I could, I took a different job for that family. I decided to be their personal assistant, except I was really bad at it. I was like the worst Mr. Belvedere ever. This kind, rich family's house went into entire disarray. And they let it because their kids liked me, loved me, actually. I spent almost every day with them for four years. I still lived my life the way I did. I was trying to be the perfect tragedy. You know, I felt I'd had arrived at that. I thought I could just go to work. But still, it was business as usual. For me, what business as usual meant was that I was stealing a lot of money from the family. And the more they trusted me, the more I stole. And honestly, I didn't think anything of it. Because like I said, I thought I'd finally done away with that pesky conscience. The thing that you got to factor in if you're a Quaker kid trying not to be is that your shame metabolism can never be that great. As much as I wanted to be the kind of person who could just do, say, or be whatever and just burn it off, I was growing bloated with shame, fat with it. I told on myself. Well, I mean, they would have caught me, but I told on myself right before they would have caught me. They could have sent me to prison, but they didn't. Here's the thing. I felt really bad, and I wanted to make it right, and I couldn't. I didn't know what to do. I'd found my line. Apparently, it was disappointing a family. I tried to make things right, but they wouldn't take my money. They wouldn't take my phone calls. They wouldn't take my offers to donate to charity. So instead, I went, and I did the Camino, which is a 600-mile pilgrimage on foot across northern Spain. At the end of it, the Catholic Church gives you a paper saying that you're absolved of all your sins. It was kind of (laughs) nice. I also got a fruit plate. But um, I went from being a high school dropout to getting my bachelor's. I got two masters as well. Ultimately, what saved me was my crappy attention span. I kind of got tired of feeling like a bad person who did bad things. The hard part is that now, instead of not wanting kids, I didn't think I should have them. That anybody who disappointed a kid like I had shouldn't have kids. 
I met a really nice guy, though, in poetry class. How square is that? I mean, at least it wasn't like Bible study, but still. We decided to move back to Oregon and get married. That's something I was never going to do. My mother and I fought so viciously during our wedding planning that we decided to go to couples therapy. We overwhelmed the therapist so sufficiently because when my mother and I fight, it's like in the old West when the bartender lowers behind the bar and everybody clears out and there's just double doors swinging. She kept trying to make us do reflective listening, but we just did reflective shrieking. My mother looked at her pityingly as we left. In the car ride, she said, I don't think that woman could handle us, do you? I said, no, I don't, I don't think anyone can. <laughs> and our unhelpability helped us help ourselves. Because my mom and I have always been too much for each other, for ourselves, for the world at large, even for a Starbucks line. After that, I got to know my mom. We drank a lot of cups of coffee. We went on a lot of walks. We began to study the maps and the minefields of one another's shame. I learned where not to go, where to walk around, where to walk carefully. After a little bit, I did the thing I was never going to do, and I had a baby. She's a year old now. The first few months of her life, I was so exhausted. Everyone said, sleep when the baby sleeps. But all I could do was stare at her. And it wasn't in doubt or regret. It was in obsession with a zealot's gleam. (laughs) That of a true believer. I thought, I have to find a way to live forever. Because someone always has to love her that much. I couldn't figure it out. I still haven't. I'm working on it. If you get any leads, let me know. The thing about being a mother is that it's to bear the brunt of your own experience. It's to slice open an autopsy your every gain and loss. It's to pound it together and make good, strong medicine so that You can charge full bore into battle and make marvelous mistakes and room for the next one to do the same. I haven't figured out how to live forever, but I also know this. That to be a mother also means that the magic of being a mother, casting those spells, that it's too much for the magician, just like in all the stories, because it's not intended for me. It's intended for my apprentice, my baby. And I catch myself. I did it today. I look at her and I think, he who watches over you shall not slumber. I love you. Have fun.